Today, you have a chance to become a premium member of the podcast. Click one of the premium membership levels and you can get everything from a free book by an ag arts artist to free postcards to extra bonus interviews to the chance to have a piece of writing critiqued by me and a free workshop or reading by Mary Swander. So go to those show notes, scroll down and click to become a premium member. Thank you so much for your support. Today's episode begins with a story by Air Filivan, who calls himself a Laotian cowboy. He came to the United States when he was 10 years old after the Vietnam War. He now has a duck farm near Milo, Iowa, recreated in the image of his grandfather's farm in Laos. Air originally told this story for the Practical Farmers of Iowa conference last January. These people, they need story from me. This story is from myself. Nobody told me. They need about water. Oh, okay. Actually, my hometown is close to the Mekong River. So I can see the river every day, all year long. By after winter overseas, the river is go down, the dry out. By the time the sand beach come up, I remember I was around 10 years old, young boy, looking for good thing, good fun, funny thing to do all the time. And some morning, when I, I didn't have school, that means weekend. Actually, I go to school every day. I didn't miss school, if I don't have to. But uh, some morning, or by weekend, I sit on the bench. Along the river, I look down the river, look down the river, I see the sand beach. Hey, some good thing is come up and funny. Me and my friend get together, bring our soccer ball in the tube, and walk down to the to the river and swim across the little creek, something. Go up there and have Soccer game at the sand beach. Not very long, not very long. The other friend at Thailand bought border. They come down to the to the to the, to the, the sand beach. So we play soccer together. This sand beach is the middle of the river between Laos and Thailand border. So every year we have good time over there when I was young. We play soccer. Everything together, when we're getting tired, we come back home. Now, the time went by, by the March or April month, weather over there getting hotter, warmer, hotter, hotter every day. Oh, people find something to do to cool down. They start to throw water to each other. To make the, put some perfume in the water, put some flower in the water, throw each other throw to each other all over the town. They call it Pi Mai Lao or Song Kan. That means they throw water to each other to cool up, to cool down and have good time and 
they, uh, we believe that water is flush out the bad thing or good or bad luck away from uh, with the own year and uh, pray and wish for good thing for that person, for our friend, for whoever, family, even the Buddha. We, we, we throw the water to the Buddha statues to, to wish for some good thing, good luck for our life next year. Now, when the Songkhan went by or Pimaila went by, if the water or rain doesn't come yet, still hot. Now, people start to make a firecracker. They believe they make a firecracker shoot up to the sky to asking for the rain from the God. By the May or June, they, they keep doing that. Not very long. The rain start to come down. When the, when the rain start to come down, I look at my grandpa's rice field. He has a big one. I didn't have anything. But my grandpa, he has a big one. Hey, water come down, me and my friend, we start to uh, get uh, something, go to cut the bamboo, bamboo cane for a fishing pole. When we get that, we, we go to catch some fish, try to get some fish. But when, when we didn't have luck, we didn't get any fish. We push each other down to the, river, to the, to the water for fun, and then walk home, grab everything and walk home. When we walk home, on the way home, we see the right hawks, right, wild hawks come out. We, catch, we try to catch them, riot. If we fell, we fell over the water, flood all over, so we don't get hurt much. But sometimes it still hurt my back. <laughs> anyway, few days, it's gone. I'm healthy. Uh, by the mid, late June or July, now rain starts to come down. Oh, I forgot one thing. When a firecracker, when they shoot it, if it don't go up to the sky, whoever make the firecracker, they're pushing him to the muddy by the road. To, pushing, to punish him, that means he didn't do a good job. <laughs> but whoever make the water, I mean, a firecracker, go very high, he's good. So we hope we get more rain. We need a rain for the farmer. Now, by the late June or July, rain starts to coming all over. Day and night, depend on whenever they feel they want to come, they're coming. So all farmers so happy. By that time, all farmers in Laos, they get ready. They prep the tool, they get the tool, they have water buffalo, all crew, all equipment for the farming. They start to do it. For me, we just keep, we just keep, keep, get, I mean, uh, hang around with them. I don't know how to say this good. But uh, when we do this, <coughs> our farmer, they start to do farm by late June, July, until August. Uh, they use a water buffalo as a big machine, as a tractor. Because we didn't have tractor, we didn't have John Deere, we didn't have big machine. They used the water buffalo to, to pull the plow to turn up the soil. So for me, just have good time anyway. I'm two kids, they don't count any work from me. But thank you that they leave me alone. So I have more, time, uh, more good time. Uh, 
<laughs> but uh, by the the water buffalo, so when everything done, the work in the field, water start start to dry down. Now water run down, stay uh, stay along with the river. When water come a lot, no more sand beach, and people done their farm. So by the time they getting get ready to to to, to harvest the rice, the sticky rice or rice or rice whatever. So they have a water in the river a lot. Now people, they want to thank God for giving them a water. So they make a canoe, a long boat, racing canoe at the Mekong River. But not only in, 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 Leo, uh, in Lao border, but Thailand people, they come down to have fun together. So they call Bun Suong Hua. Uh, by that, the mean by that, that means all people in the town, we thank God for giving us uh, water to farm, and then uh, we believe in the river they have some uh, dragon or big snake or something that people be, uh, believe. That means thanks for, for, for bringing us uh, a rain. Farmer can get food, can get crop each year, each year. So it goes over, over again. And uh, oh, I forgot one thing. When I went, when I when I went down to the sand beach, I brought uh, my dog. His name is Lulu. He always follow me to the sand beach to play soccer. But sometimes, about one night, my dog didn't come home with me. They go to another side of Thailand. I wonder what happened with him. He might find a good family. He might find a new. Girlfriend, beautiful, something, I don't know. And then since then, I left, I come back home, I left home, and then I didn't see him no more. And uh, sometimes I'm missing home. But anyway, I have a good time over here. That's all my story. Thank you very much. Hope you guys have a good time. Air's story about his dog reminds me of dogs I've had in my life, lost and found while living among the Amish. Here's a sampler. One day, I opened the door of the Fairview School, and there he was, standing on my front stoop, a huge white dog with glistening, shiny white teeth and paws the size of my fists. Quickly, I closed the door. I telephoned my neighbors, Donna and Stu. What's the story on this big dog that's wandering around outside? I don't know, Donna said. I found him out there earlier this morning. Will he bite? No, he's nice. I gave him some food. The dog leaned against my screen door, tongue out, panting. Okay, I thought. I'll give him some water. Instantly, we were friends. He following me around, bounding up the hill toward the barn while I did my chores. He chased a frisbee and caught it midair. He chased rabbits out of the garden and barked when a strange car pulled into the driveway. He even killed a snake coiled up on the road. This is a good dog, I thought. He belongs to somebody, and soon they'll come and claim him. But several days went by, and no one did. Now, Donna, Stu said one night, concerned that they were acquiring yet another mouth to feed, I hope Mary's not feeding that dog, or else we'll never get rid of him. 
Oh, no, Donna said. I know Mary's not feeding that dog. Several more days passed, and the dog was getting the knack of the place, sleeping under my screen porch during the heat of the day and racing across the yard to greet Don and Stu when they came home from their jobs in town. Finally, one Saturday afternoon, Henry Yutzi, one of our Amish neighbors, pulled in the lane in his buggy. I see you have bear, Henry said, tying his horse to the hitching post. Bear? Donna asked. Yeah, we had him for a while. Is this your dog, Henry? Well, not exactly. It turns out that Bear was a dump. He had probably grown too big for some student apartment in town, so he was driven to the country and thoughtlessly set loose to fend for himself. The local feed and seed dealer found him and kept him in his shop for a while. Then, knowing that Henry's German shepherd had recently died, the feed man loaded Bear in his truck and drove him to the Yutzies. Henry's eight children romped with the dog and rode him around the yard, his tail wagging, the little Amish boys hanging on to their straw hats. But Henry's wife thought the dog too big and unruly and wasn't chagrined when he wandered down the road. He spent a couple of nights in our neighbor Malin's welding shop. In the mornings, when Malin milked the cows, Bear slipped into the barn and nudged the farmer's hand. Malin stopped and petted him, but finally found the dog a nuisance. Go away now, Malin said. Tail down, Bear drifted across the road to Moses and Miriam's farm. To get out of the rain, he crept up on their front porch and sat down next to their glider. Just then, Miriam came to the door. The sight of the huge white dog frightened her. Go home, she shouted in English, but Bear didn't budge. Get home, she scolded in Dutch, but Bear still didn't move. Because the dog didn't seem to understand either language, Miriam shooed him away with a newspaper. Now, Henry, Donna said, if that's your dog, you go ahead and take him. Well, why don't we just let him be a neighborhood dog, Henry said, moving back toward his buggy. I think we ought to settle this. I really think we ought to settle this, Stu said. All right, Donna said, I'll tell you what. Henry, you get back in your buggy, and if that dog jumps in with you, he's your dog. If he stays here, we'll share him with Mary. Good enough, Henry said. He hopped into his buggy and, turning to the dog, said, Stay, bear. My next dog was a Border Collie Aussie mix I got from the Amish down the road. Born on Good Friday, I named him Friday. I took Friday to a trainer who in turn worked with an animal communicator. 
If I have a problem with a dog, Linda can talk to the animal and find out what's bothering it, Cheryl, the trainer, had said. Linda can get inside its head and figure out what it's sensing. Cheryl explained that she had trained a Labrador retriever to sniff out drugs for the police. The lab suddenly just stopped working. Linda talked to the dog, who told her that the drugs burned his nose, and if he was going to continue to do his job, he needed a big reward. Cheryl had been giving him his bone every time he'd made a hit. He wants something more. He wants French fries, Linda said. Cheryl protested at that request, but instead gave him a big, juicy dog biscuit. The lab resumed his work. Another time, a small dog dug under the fence and escaped from Cheryl's kennel. I called Linda, and she said the dog was cowering in a forest near a pig lot. There's no forest around here, but there's plenty of pig lots. Which one? Linda gave directions, and within a short time, Cheryl found the dog lost in tall grass near her neighbor's hog barn. Okay, I thought, but I had to admit that talking to animals was a little beyond my grasp. Until the night when I dreamed that my dog Friday and I were sitting together at the breakfast table. He perched on the chair across from mine, the newspaper spread in front of his face, his toes stone cold, his coffee cooling. Finally, Friday put down the paper and glared at me. I don't think you really understand me, Friday said. Oh, okay, I said. I'm an open person. What are your issues? Well, first of all, I'm Amish. Right, I answered, and remembered the day I brought him home from my Amish neighbor's farm. Yes, you brought me home and expected me to be bilingual instantly. Come, sit, heal. I spoke Dutch, not English. He was right. I hadn't even thought of the language difference. And furthermore, I've lived here with you these years and know everything about your life, but you've never even made an effort to get to know my family. Right again. If you ever got to know them, I think you'd really like my parents. Their names are Sarah and Austin. Friday, I said, don't put on airs with me. I do know your parents, and their names are Mabel and Shep. Friday picked up the newspaper and spread it in front of his face. It was time to call the animal communicator. My next dog wasn't my dog at all. I pulled my car into my lane one day, and a giant tricolored Australian shepherd with a stubby tail and a big red tongue hanging out of its mouth came bounding toward my car door, sticking his head through my open window. Whoa, fellow, where'd you come from? I asked. He wanted to crawl right through my window, and I had to force the door open. 
This fellow ran through my flower beds, then disappeared, only to show up the next day, and the following day, and the day after that. He ripped apart the packages delivered to my porch. He jumped on me and tried to get into the garbage. Donna took the newspaper after him. He's out of control, Donna said. He chewed all the new hose that I'd just bought. He has to go. Go home, I told the dog. Sometimes in reply, he would romp down the road, only to return again the next day. Where did this big dog come from? I asked my neighbor Malin one day when he had stopped by to do some online implement business. Why, that's Carla's dog, Gus, Malin said. Carla was a young widow with four children. She worked in town all day and cooked and cleaned for her family at night somehow keeping her household going on very little money. So I hesitated to complain about her dog. I didn't know her phone number, so I walked down the road and put a note on her door. Sorry to bother you, but would you mind tying up your dog? I'm afraid he's going to get killed on the road. By this time, Gus had had some close calls with cars and had dug up most of my flowers. Days passed. A couple of weeks went by. No response from Carla. The dog was lovable, just completely untrained. The dog ripped apart more packages, and I had to install a huge mailbox on the road to hold future deliveries. I decided I was going to have to tame down this dog, and we were going to have to be friends. I bought a box of dog biscuits and held one up in front of Gus's face. Sit, I said, and to my surprise, he obliged. Soon he stopped jumping all over me and halted his desire to dive through my car window. We moved on to stay, and Gus became a regular gentleman who loved to have his tummy rubbed. Then he established a routine. As soon as I saw Carla's car drive down the road on her way to work in the morning, Gus came ambling over to my place. He sat on my porch until I was up and out in the garden where he kept watch for rabbits. He sat at my feet when I hung wash on the line. Then around five o'clock in the evening, he was gone and home again to greet Carla upon her return from work. He stayed home all weekends. I have a working dog, I told myself, five days a week, nine to five. We moved through the seasons together. That summer, I went on vacation for two weeks. Upon my return, Donna kept me informed. The dog, she said, the dog came over every morning and sat on your porch. He waited there at least an hour or so, then figured, okay, she's not here, and sauntered back down the road. But he came right back the next morning, and he did that every single day. Gus was beside me when I harvested the garden in the fall. But when the temperature fell below zero in the winter, he curled up under my porch and cried from the cold. Can you build me a doghouse from scraps? I asked Joe, the Amish lumberman. Just something cheap that will get Gus out of the wind. But that isn't even your dog, Joe said. Yes, but I can't stand him crying in the cold. Soon the doghouse arrived and was installed right next to my house. Gus called 
right into the doghouse, the snowflakes falling, melting on his black nose, sticking out the door. Then spring arrived, and driving home from my exercise class in town one night, I found Gus down at the country store. Uh-oh, I thought, I've never seen him there before. Misty, the store owner's hound, must be in heat. A few months later, Misty had a litter of nine pups, all looking like little tricolored Australian shepherds. Then another neighbor's dog had more gussets, and another, and another. Altogether, the neighborhood was rich with 19 herding hybrids. Then Gus disappeared. I opened the door in the morning and missed his big red-tongued grin. I never knew what became of him, and my heart was heavy for days, until one morning I looked out the window, and there was a gusset pup taking his place on my porch. the gross mommy is here today with a recipe. What do you have for us this time, Ruby? Hot dogs. Oh, of course. Well, you had all those stray dogs in your stories, so I thought I'd provide your listeners some ideas for leftover hot dogs. Okay, shoot. Here's hot dog hash. First, you cut up some cooked hot dogs into finger-sized pieces and then slice and dice up some carrots and potatoes, green peppers, and celery. Put them in a bowl and coat with olive oil. Sorry, you can't use lard for this one. Then salt and pepper the whole mess really good, turning it into a roasting pan. Bake in the oven at 350 degrees for about 45 minutes, stirring the concoction every so often so that it doesn't burn. That's it. Dish it out on plates, and there you have it. Hot dog hash. Well, that was easy. And in my opinion, really delicious. You're never without an opinion, Ruby. That's true. And if you have a minute, I have an opinion I would like to voice on this here abortion issue that everyone is talking about. Oh, wow, I'd love to hear your opinion on that, Ruby. Have you heard they changed the law? Now, I don't have a radio, TV, newspaper, but believe me, I heard about that. And what do you think? Well, we're not supposed to get involved in politics. The bishop might not like this. Oh, go ahead. No one's listening. All right. We Amish love children. Every child is a blessing, a gift from God. That's the way we look at it. I've had 10 children myself, and I love every minute with each of them. Well... 
most of every minute. And of course, we need a lot of kids to run our farms. And what's your birthing process? Why, we have our babies at home, of course. We have trained midwives and a backup doctor should we need it. If something doesn't seem right, we go straight to the hospital. And prenatal care? Of course. That's gotten better since the old days. Why not just go to the hospital in the first place? Everyone, mother and baby, is more relaxed at home. And we could never afford the hospital. Don't forget, we don't have health insurance. It's thirteen dollars to $20,000 for a delivery. Times that by 10 and see where it gets you over the years. So we don't care for abortion. But we also don't care for a system that forces poor people to spend so much money to have a baby. Fair enough. And I think the English are chasing their tails on this one. What do you mean by that, Ruby? Well, I don't know if this is true or not, but a neighbor told me that they were probably going to shut down abortion in this state and women would have to go to Chicago. That's a long trip. So states that have legal abortion are going to set up mobile units on the border. Then women could cross the river into a border town in Illinois, like Rock Island or someplace, and not have to drive all the way to Chicago. Well, that will save time and money. Just like fireworks. Pardon me? Fireworks used to be illegal in this state. But now, since you can blow off your hand here legally, it's a different story. Before they changed that law, you crossed into Missouri, and there were all these signs, fireworks, fireworks, with little stands selling rockets and comets and all sorts of bombs that disturbed the peace, and pop and potato chips, too, of course. It's going to be the same thing. Abortions, abortions, the signs will read, and those mobile units will be lined up on the side of the road. And since the English are the English, there will be motels and restaurants sprouting up there, surrounding the mobile units, daycare for the poor mothers who have to drag their other children along. Oh, I can see it now. Ice cream wagons and Ferris wheels. A regular Disneyland. And all those hard-earned dollars will be heading out of state. Get ready, Illinois. Here we come. You do paint a picture, Ruby. No, I don't paint. I quilt. And you've just sewn up this segment of our podcast. Hot dog. Thank you, Ruby. And that brings our episode to an end. We were produced by Rick Brewer of Brew Ha Ha Audio Productions in our studios on Main Street in sunny Fremartentown. We had support today and would like to thank the Cinepid Fund, 
the Iowa Arts Council, the Werner Ellithorpe Fund at the Oregon Community Foundation, and the Calio Levine Fund, and all of you who have sent us individual private donations. We welcome your support. Like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe and never miss a podcast. Become a member or simply go to our website, agarts.org, and hit that red donation button. See you next time. Big red tongue hanging out of its mouth. <laughs>